Go back to the beginning. I would love to see that movie. Anybody else just want to watch it this morning? <laughs> uh, so when it comes to Star Trek fandom, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'm about a 7. Uh, my dad and I used to watch the original TV series together on KPLR when I was a kid. Uh, I was a big fan of The Next Generation, big fan of uh, Voyager. Uh, I love the J.J. Abrams uh, movie reboots. reboots. Uh, I can't wait for uh, movie number four. I don't know what's coming out, but it better come out quickly. Now, for the uninitiated, and I, I know there are those of you out there, uh, Star Trek chronicles the adventures of the Starfleet Enterprise. Their ship was sent on a five-year research mission into the final frontier of space, seeking out new life, new civilizations. Such a mission would require incredible courage, which is why Captain James T. Kirk in the original introduction emphasized, laid heavy emphasis on their call to boldly go where no one had gone before. Obviously, it is only the most courageous who would leave the comfy confines of Earth to head out into the deep, dark emptiness of space with no idea what on Earth, or rather what in space, they might find. Now, I apologize for the cheap metaphor, but as followers of Christ, we too are on a mission. A mission that requires even more boldness than that of the Starfleet Enterprise, because our mission happens to be a real one, not fictional. It is also a mission going on for longer than five years. Our mission has lasted almost 2,000 years. What is our mission? explore new life, new civilizations? Nope. Our mission is to take the message of Jesus to civilization as we know it. Our mission is not to discover new life, but to proclaim a message of eternal life to those who are alive but are also dying. And while the Christian church has done pretty well over the past 2,000 years, we still have a ways to go. There are new frontiers to breach, there are new lands to reach, there are new peoples to find. Who knows how long this mission will last, but as far as you and I are concerned, our mission continues. We're in a new series uh, here at Rooftop that we are calling The Continuing Mission. It's, it's our final installment of our extended study of Paul's letter uh, to the Romans. For those of you who are just joining us, the book of Romans is a very important book in the New Testament. It was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was a first century Christian missionary and an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. Paul traveled around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel, starting churches. Uh, he really wanted to visit the Christian church in Rome, so he writes them a nice long letter in which he introduces himself and summarizes for them the, the message of Christianity, the message that... Uh, God in his love came to earth as a man to show us how to live and die on the cross for our sins. And by having faith in what God did through Jesus Christ, we can receive the gift of eternal life. We can be made righteous in, in God's sight. And in Romans, Paul also explains just how that message should transform us, how it should change us. It should make us more loving, submissive, courageous, persevering people. And this message of the gospel, it was so compelling for Paul. I mean, this, it wasn't just a good idea that everybody should consider. It was something that everybody needed to, to understand. The message of the gospel was so compelling to Paul that it, that it really propelled him uh, on a, a great mission to the ends of the earth, as Jesus had instructed. This is so important, take it to the ends of the earth. And, and, and this is the theme of this final section of Romans, Paul's commitment to continuing the mission given to him by God. And our point during this series is that this is not just Paul's mission, but it's ours as well. Because whether or not we will admit it, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, 
we are God's missionaries here on earth on mission with him. So last week, Jeremy kicked off the series by sharing with us, discussing with us the first passage. Let me go ahead and read you the second. It's Romans chapter 15, verses 17 through 22. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on somebody else's foundation. Rather, as it is written... Those who were not told, told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Now here in this paragraph, Paul explains his travel choices. For a long while, he's been intending to get to Rome to preach the gospel there. I mean, Paul's strategy as a missionary was to hit the largest urban area in whatever region he happened to be. And there, and there was no larger urban area than Rome. His, his goal was to hit those, those urban centers uh, and then kind of hope the gospel kind of percolates out through the suburbs and then into the countryside. Uh, and like I said, there was no larger urban area than Rome. Paul knew, for the sake of the gospel, we need, need to get to Rome. It was like on his bucket list. But, as Paul says, he keeps getting distracted. He keeps getting distracted from Rome by finding places that had never heard of Jesus. Now, for its part, Rome had a church. I mean, Paul was writing to Christians in Rome, but it was a, a, probably a small church, and as we've been able to tell over the past couple of months, it was probably a fractured church along ethnic lines between Jews and Gentiles, but at least they had a church. This was still the first century, like, you know, 40s and 50s AD. There were a lot of people who hadn't heard about Jesus yet, and Paul keeps stumbling into these towns that, that hadn't even heard about the arrival of the Messiah. And Paul has no choice but to stay there and preach the gospel to them. Uh, and that's what he explains has been delaying his visit. As he says, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. Now, if you're going to have an excuse for not making an appointment, this is a pretty good one. I would have gotten there on time, but, you know, all these people, they had heard about Jesus, and I had to stop and explain the gospel to them and, you know, sue me. Uh, it, it's like, you know, being late for a meeting and showing up to the meeting and saying, well, I was going to be here on time, but I was driving by this daycare, and it was on fire, and I had to go and save all the children. So, you know, sorry, it won't happen again. So this isn't really an apology. It's, it's really just an explanation for, for why Paul has not arrived there yet. But it's also a little bit of a window into his passion. Paul's God-given passion was to do just this, to preach the gospel where it had not been heard. He, he is a spiritual entrepreneur like this who likes tilling new ground. That was his ambition, and it was a noble one, as he puts it. He says, I, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. That was in his ambition. I mean, if you're going to have an ambition, preaching the gospel to people who haven't heard it before, no, more, no greater ambition than that. I mean, ambition can be dangerous, but this is, this is as pure as they come. 
You might know, there are people in the kingdom, church planners, missionaries, Christian workers, who are like this. They want to open up new territories to the gospel. They want to explore new galaxies. They want to take the gospel where it has not gone yet. Just like Starfleet, this requires courage and boldness and risk, and it doesn't always go well. Maybe, for example, you're familiar with the story of John Allen Chow. Chow was committed to taking the message of Jesus to one of the last unreached corners of the globe, Sentinel Island in the Bay of Bengal to the east of India. Tragically, John was killed by islanders, the islanders, last November, who have refused contact with the outside world. The Indian government can't even get on the island to retrieve retrieve Chow's body because the Indians keep attacking them. They want nothing to do with the outside world. Now, John knew what he was getting into. He knew that efforts to share the gospel with the Sentinelese uh, have failed in the past. But like Paul, he felt a burden to take the gospel where it has not yet gone and where people don't want to go. He was breaking the law even in attempting this. If you've followed the story, you might know that the Indian government has made it illegal for visitors to attempt to visit Sentinel Island. In addition to clearly being very dangerous, they actually want to protect the people on Sentinel Island from diseases and also safeguard their way of life. They don't want any outside groups coming over to colonize or impose their values uh, on the Sentinelese. Our world has grown collectively apprehensive about missionary activity, especially by Christians. Christian missionaries are considered by some to be imperialist colonizers who impose their religion on people who want to be left alone. If you're a fan of Star Trek, you might actually be familiar with something related to this. It's known as the Prime Directive. Have you ever heard of the Prime Directive? Raise your hand if you know what the Prime Directive is. Somebody tell me what the Prime Directive is. Absolutely. Exactly. Prohibitions from the Federation about interfering with unadvanced planetary populations. I sound like a complete dork here. I'm very familiar with the Prime Directive. Rules against contacting people that hadn't been contacted yet. It was just too dangerous to interfere with unadvanced planetary populations. It too often led to colonization and oppression. In fact, some of the the, the show's best episodes deal with the ethical implications of the Prime Directive and whether or not it needs to be obeyed. Now, now interestingly, I'm going to double down on my dorkiness here. Interestingly, the show's creators may have written the Prime Directive into the show because during the 1960s, when Star Trek was popular, they saw America sticking their noses into too many corners around the globe, making big messes. Vietnam, Philippines, Cambodia, Central America. We need to learn to leave people alone, the show was saying. That's the general attitude these days. Leave people alone. Don't impose your values or religion on them, let alone bother them at all. Now, it's certainly an idea I can appreciate and respect, but as an apostle called by God, Paul could not accept it. He was not subject to the prime directive. He had been called by God to not leave people alone. 
He had been called by God to take the message of Christ to everybody who had not heard it. He would have gone to Sentinel Island in a heartbeat if he could, no matter the consequences, to boldly break the law where no one has broken the law before. The Lord is very clear to his messengers that I have made you a light to the nations that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. To put this another way, Star Trek's prime directive is to not interfere with native peoples and new cultures, but Jesus' prime directive is almost the exact opposite, to take the gospel to anybody who hasn't heard it. Now, this doesn't mean to exploit them or or enslave them or steal from them or even bother them repeatedly. I mean, Jesus is very clear that if someone emphatically and and, and repeatedly refuses the gospel, move along. (laughs) Move along to the next island. But the point of the gospel is to bless people with the love and the power of God. How can we not do otherwise? The gospel is life to the dying. It is hope to the suffering. It is Uh, light to the darkened. Are we to not take it to new worlds and new civilizations because we do not want to be rude? And for the record, there really are people in our world who haven't heard of Jesus. I mean, Sentinel Island is just one people group that hasn't heard of Christ, but there are many. The gospel has a ways to go. That's why our, our Go team here at Rooftop is so committed to what they do. We have a Go team here at Rooftop Church where people get together to support Christian missionaries around the world. Uh, that's why we as a church have, have designated 12, 13% of our income to go support Christian missionaries uh, around the world. If you give to Rooftop, you're supporting the, the, the work of Christ around the globe. What we can't lose sight of in this, though, is that there aren't just people around the globe who haven't heard of Jesus. There are people in our own communities. There are people in our own lives. I know you, you, you might think that we still live in a, in a Christian country, Christian culture, and we maybe kind of sort of do barely for now, but increasingly not. I mean, this is an estimate, but I would say about two-thirds of St. Louisans have no meaningful relationship with the local church. Even more than that, have no genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, and there are people in our city who don't even know who he is. I remember a story told to me uh, by my good friend and fellow elder, Paul Mueller here. Uh, Paul is also a piano player. Uh, I took the week off this week. But um, years ago, Paul um, wanted to go get a tattoo. So he got, went on the internet, and he, he's a, Paul's a cool Christian guy, so he was looking for a cool Christian tattoo. And he found this, this picture of a, of, a, of a cross, which is sort of artistically rendered, and he printed it out, and he, and he took it to this tattoo artist that had been recommended to him, you know, this big guy with long hair and, and uh, kind of crusty and just tats all over his body. And, and he said, here's the tattoo. Can you, can you maybe work it up a little bit uh, and, and, and make it look a little nicer? And the guy was like, sure, yeah. So he took it back to the back room of the tattoo parlor, worked on it a little bit, and then he brought it back out to Paul and showed it to Paul. He said, here's what I got. And uh, Paul's like, that's, okay. that's pretty good. It's just, it's really not what I'm looking for. And the guy was like, well, you know what, man? I don't know what this is. And Paul's like, oh, I'm oh, sorry. It's, it's a picture of Jesus on the cross. Who on the what? Paul's like, oh, there's Jesus on the cross. Like, don't know what you're talking about. So Paul told him the story. Story about God loving the earth so much that, you know, he came to earth as a man and, and showed us how to live. And I was like, wow, that's cool. And, uh, and then Paul said, but it got kind of rocky at the end. He was like executed by the Romans on this, on this cross right here. And the guy was like, oh, man, that sucks. <laughs> and Paul's like, well, it's, 
it's okay because like God raised him from the dead and it's like, wow, that happened? And, and, and he's like ascending and he ascended to heaven. He's like coming again at some point. The guy's like, whoa, totally rad. There, there really are people in our lives that don't know. I mean, there really are people in, in, in our lives and communities that haven't heard about Christ. People in the cubicle next to us. People in the dorm room next to us. People who live next to us. There really are people in our, in our worlds that don't know. By God's immeasurable grace and mercy, we do. And it's been given to us to share. By dint of believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have been called to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who do not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people haven't heard it at all. Some people haven't heard it the right way. Some people haven't heard it enough. I heard a study once that said uh, people who end up believing in Jesus, they actually have to hear it seven times before it kind of starts to sink in. Good thing their friends didn't give up after like the second try, right? Ah, well, lost cause. That was Paul's prime directive. Take the gospel to people who haven't heard it at all, haven't heard it enough, haven't heard it the right way. And that's our prime directive too, to preach the gospel to people who don't believe. Now before we close though, I want to talk a little bit more about what this gospel is that we are called to preach to the world. Like Paul, we can have all the ambition in the world, but if we're not preaching the right thing, we're just wasting our time, God's time, and giving the world false hope. Uh, I have the utmost respect for my uh, Mormon neighbors. Uh, but Mormons are the most evangelistic, outreach-oriented religion on the face of the planet, and they are out there uh, persuading people that they can be uh, a god like Jesus who himself was a created being, not the gospel. So if we're going to go boldly into space preaching the gospel as our prime directive, we should make sure we have it right, right? And Paul is helpful here too. His ambition, his burden, his prime directive was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, but not just the gospel, but a, 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 a particular version of the gospel. Paul's prime directive was to preach the simple gospel. Paul's prime directive was to preach the whole gospel. And Paul's prime directive was to preach the true gospel. Simple, whole, and true. And with the time I've left, I want to talk a little bit about each one of those. First, Paul's prime directive was to preach the simple gospel. As he says in verse 17, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. The substance of Paul's preaching was the simple gospel of what Jesus accomplished in dying for our sins and being raised for the dead, from the dead, and what that meant for Paul and anyone else. I mean, wherever Paul went, that was his message. Jesus crucified, raised from the dead, soon to return. It reminds me of what Paul said to the Corinthians in the very next letter in the New Testament. He says, For I resolved, I resolved, I decided that while I was with you, I, I was, would know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. While I was with you, I would know nothing. I mean, I know actually a lot of things, but I was not going to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
That's the simple gospel. Paul focused on the simple gospel because he knew that's what people needed. This is incredibly important for us to understand because we forget it. I mean, you go into, into so many churches around the country today, and, and you might hear very, very complicated versions of the gospel, which are, are so com, uh, complex as to be completely inaccessible to normal people. I mean, frankly, I know this is one of my problems, just making things too complicated. And sometimes I'm practically proud of how complicated I can make the simplest things. I mean, I love, love science and history and, and theology and, and, and politics, and sometimes I, sometimes I forget what, what people need is a simple, uh, un, simple understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, if I ever make things just too complicated, please tell me. I'm in a, a kind, loving way. <laughs> Let, I mean, more than anything, I want people to be able to hear the simple gospel of Jesus Christ every Sunday morning they come. You shouldn't have to go to college to understand that God loves you so much that he came to earth as a man to die for your sins and rose from the dead. You shouldn't even be able, you shouldn't have to even read to be able to understand that. Not only do we sometimes overcomplicate things, but we sometimes also preach things other than Jesus. I know uh, pastors who preach conservative politics like traditional marriage as much or more than Jesus. I know churches that preach liberal politics like diversity and inclusion as much or more than, Je more than Jesus. Those are all important issues and do not get me wrong, the world needs to hear Christians talk about the evils of abortion and racism and the sanctity of marriage and caring for the environment. But mostly, the world needs to hear us talk about Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and overcoming the power of the grave. And this applies to you, too, even though you might not be a preacher. I mean, do you talk as passionately about Jesus as you do about some of your other issues? Do you publicize Jesus as boldly in your yard as you do your favorite politician? Do you post on Facebook about the gospel as much as you do about conservative or liberal political causes? Honestly, I follow some of you, and I know you don't. But the world doesn't need more of our politics. The world needs more of the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came to earth to die for our sins and destroy the power of death, and that he's coming again to restore all things. Preach the simple gospel. That's Paul, part one of Paul's prime directive. Part two of Paul's prime directive is to preach the whole gospel. Preach the simple gospel and the whole gospel. As he says... I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God. The word I want to draw your attention to right here is at the very end, obey. Now the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, book of Romans Hopefully we've established this over the course of our study. The book of Revelation, <laughs> what book are we studying? I believe it's Romans, correct? The book of Romans, the point of Romans is that we cannot earn our way into God's presence by, our, by good works. Uh, we can only respond in faith, in belief to what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. 
That's the essence of the book of Romans. But that doesn't mean that we are free to not obey Jesus. Obedience to Jesus' commands is the evidence that our faith is genuine. A disobedient Christian is maybe not a Christian. I posted about this on Facebook uh, this week in my uh, book report of one of my favorite books, Christian books, which is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's a German theologian and martyr, actually died in World War II in a concentration camp because he was a Christian. And in his book, the, the author, this is his point, he makes the point that Christianity is costly. Grace should cost us. To follow Jesus is to obey him, which is hard. Christianity isn't easy, it's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. And Jesus makes this very clear, even at the very beginning, when he sends his disciples out uh, at the very end of his life in the Great Commission. You guys maybe know the Great Commission. Like, Jesus, before, he, he like, ascends into heaven. He gets all his disciples together. He's like, hey, guys, come here. One more thing, one more thing, one more, one more thing. Come here. I'm getting ready to, like, float away. It's going to be cool. But before I do that, one more thing for you. Here. Here it is. Ready? Everybody listening? Peter? Peter? <laughs> all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And something else. Wait, Peter, back, back, back. I know you guys are excited. Back, back. One more thing. One more thing. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. That's part two. We forget about part two. We remember part one. Go make people Christians. Baptize them. This part two. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded. That's part two of the Great Commission. Uh, Dallas Willard, one of my favorite Christian uh, uh, philosophers, he actually calls part two of the Great Commission the Great Omission. It's the part of the Great Commission that we omit. We baptize people, we make them Christians, but we don't teach them how to obey. But that's the whole gospel, to be forgiven of our sins and not do them again. Jesus gives his people things to do which help us follow him more closely. He tells us to love our enemies, to worship him faithfully, to serve the poor, to serve the foreigner, to remain faithful to our marriages, to, to give away our material wealth, to avoid lust and anger, to not give in to fear. I mean, will we obey him perfectly? Of course not. We're sinners, but God forgives us. But to be a Christian means, by definition, to follow Jesus, or at least to try. As we share the message of the gospel with our friends and neighbors and coworkers, we need to share the whole gospel through our words and through our actions. We, we need to call the world not just to faith, but to the obedience that comes through genuine faith. And the best way to call the world to obedience is to show the world what it looks like to obey Jesus. I mean, you know as well as I do that a lot of times the world is more compelled by our example than it is by our proclamation. That's more persuasive to people. Remember the words of St. Francis who said, preach Christ always. When necessary, use words. That's why our purpose statement, our, our, our mission statement here at Rooftop is very simple. We actually put it on the hallway. When you walk into the building, you might not know it's there, but it's there. Our purpose, our mission statement as a church is to be followers of Christ, to make followers of Christ, to make followers of Christ. That first phrase is very intentional. Be a follower of Jesus. That's the best way to make a follower of Jesus. Preach the simple gospel, the whole gospel. And lastly, preach the true gospel. 
It's part three of Paul's prime directive. Paul says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I've said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. So Paul is, is telling the Romans that his proclamation of the gospel of Christ has been empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the personal, invisible presence of God in the world, working powerfully in us to conform our characters to Christ. And the Spirit also sometimes performs signs and wonders to confirm the truth of the gospel. I mean, in the New Testament, when, when people became Christians, the, the, the Spirit would confirm it with healings and visions and dreams and other supernatural demonstrations. God wanted them to know the truth of what they had just heard was true. It wasn't made up. It was true. As Peter writes in his letter, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. These weren't stories. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We know this is true. This is also important to know as we preach the gospel. We have to remember that our message is true. I mean, true as facts can be. A lot of people in the world today don't believe in truth anymore. We're having a hard time even defining the concept of fact. Uh, a, fr a friend of mine referred this week in a casual conversation, a friend of mine referred this week to his truth. That's my truth. Sort of implying casually that what was true for him wasn't necessarily true for me. I mean, lots of people think this way. But what's true is true, and what's false is false. And oftentimes, our lives depend on the distinction. I mean, how would you feel if, when you got on a plane, the captain came over a loudspeaker and said, we are ready for takeoff, depending on your perspective? No, either we're ready for takeoff or we're not ready for takeoff. I, I'd like to actually know that we are ready for takeoff. I mean, it makes no sense to believe that Jesus rose from the dead depending on your perspective. It's incoherent to think that Christianity can be true for you, but not true for me. Three plus three doesn't yield different answers for different people. The answer is six. Right? Yep. Similarly, the answer to sin and death isn't different depending on your perspective or what culture you grew up in. The answer to sin and death is Jesus, no matter how you calculate it. We preach the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he came as the Son of God to suffer and die for sins. He confirmed this as truth when he rose from the dead, when he showed himself to his 12 disciples. He confirms it as truth when he works in our lives, when he speaks to us, when he answers our prayers, when he comforts us with his presence, and when he conforms our characters to his by the power of the Spirit. In order to preach the gospel as true to the world, we have to be convinced of its truth. Honestly, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're not yet convinced that the gospel is true. And that's cool. 
We here at Rooftop are a Christian church. We believe that the message of Jesus is true for all people, but we're also a church for seekers, for skeptics, for ex-Christians, for non-believers looking for more. We are glad you're here. We encourage you to keep seeking and searching. If you keep at it, we believe to the core of our being that you'll find what you're looking for. Jesus says on the authority that the Father gave him that people who knock persistently will have the door opened and people who seek will find and be found. You are why Jesus came to this earth, why we exist as a church. Our prime directive is to preach the simple, whole, true gospel of Christ to anybody in St. Louis who will hear it, including you. That's why we planted this church 18 years ago. That's why we just hired Pastor Jacob to help us plant another one in a couple years. It's going to be a very exciting time for us as a church. You're going to hear more about it. We are that compelled by the gospel of Christ that we would put on hold whatever plans we have to visit Rome, whatever else we might do with our lives to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to people who don't know it. That's our mission. That's our prime directive, and even though it has taken us longer than five years, by the power of the Holy Spirit who gives us boldness and courage, we are going to see it through. That's our prime directive. This morning, God is inviting you to make it yours. Let's pray. Father, it's humbling and a bit silly uh, to imagine that you have commissioned us uh, to take the message of of life and salvation to uh, people who haven't heard it. We are, um, at times, bumbling idiots can't get our stories straight, can't live our lives the right way. But for uh, thousands of years, you have been sending broken vessels, broken mouthpieces into the world to speak a message of hope and truth and salvation. And as long as we rely on the power and the wisdom of your Holy Spirit, you can and will do great things. Thank you for gathering us here together as a church to, with one voice, proclaim the truth of the gospel to a world that is awash in lies. Give us boldness, give us courage, give us clarity. And we pray for those seekers and and skeptics in our midst, too. They are our friends, our family members. We pray that you minister to them and support them and share your love and your truth with them, too. We pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die for our sins, rose again from the dead, and is coming again on the clouds at a time we know not. But until that happens, help us be about your business.